Blog Talk Radio. Afternoon, America. This is Billy Jones, the author of Everyday Folks Books and the creator of Everyday Folks Radio. Thank you for listening this October 23rd, 2016, for another segment of BJ Speaks. Today's show focuses on scary encounters. Before I begin, I'd like to say thank you for to all of you for listening over the past eight, 10 months to this to our show here on Everyday Folks. Because of you, we continue to do what we do and bring you most interesting information from people who are everyday yet extraordinary in each and every way. If at any time you'd like to speak to me during this live broadcast, you may call me at 347-539-5372. Again, that is 347-539-5372. And if you'd like to email me, you may do so at any time at everyday folks listen at gmail.com again that is everyday folks listen at gmail.com last week we had a few technical difficulties and there were a number of questions that many of you had pertaining to our paranormal hour too and i was accompanied with my dear friend and colleague dj dj soul and so we will continue to go ahead and answer those questions this week. We apologize for that. But as you know, the show must go on. I have to share this with you. This season is such one of my favorites. And as a reader of horror and suspense, it just warms my heart, if not freaks others out, that I love to engage in this activity and in this genre. What's even more fascinating is the idea that this idea of horror and suspense has been around for centuries, and there have been many greats, some who obviously are no longer alive, who have contributed richly to the genre, who we still celebrate today. And because of them, the incredible work that is created under the auspices of horror and suspense is carried over into the silver screen. And so this show, however, is not going to talk about those. Instead, we're going to talk about what it means to write about scary horror and suspense and also what it means to, to, to share these stories that are so significant. Now, there are naysayers who are out there. Several of you have asked me, for instance, whether or not I believe in these, um, these, these tales. And in truth, I'm in the middle of the road. I'll tell you why. Because in one sense, I was brought up in a family where religion played an integral role, but it wasn't pressed upon me heavily. And then on the other side, I also have my own personal beliefs as it pertains to the scientific understanding of how things function in the world. And so to answer that question that has been posed to me, I say this, that there are things that are beyond our human control that we just don't know what they are or quite understand. In truth, I'm not going to look for them but yet, if I shall encounter such instances, I will be, I'll do my best to celebrate, if not clarify, my own notions. And perhaps may, I may have to shift my own views as a result of that experience. Speaking of experiences, 
two Fridays ago, I had the esteemed pleasure of touring here in South Florida, the Stranahan House. And the Stranahan House is a historic facility that is located in the heart of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and downtown Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And it was originally bought and built by the late Frank Stranahan and his wife, Ivy. And I and my student group, which is titled Writing Out Loud at Broward College, I took my student leaders over so that they can get a sense, uh, and writers, this group, by the way, as an aside, this, this club is comprised of students who are writers, who are musicians, poets, filmmakers, and the like. Photographers is included, and artists too. And so the purpose is to help these students understand that it's more than just writing or producing great art or great, great literature. It's more than just going on the internet and doing your homework about a topic. It's always best to get a sense of geographic location and setting. And so therefore, I thought it would be great to take a field trip over to the Stranahan House to get a sense of what that culture is. This month, we are focusing on horror and suspense within, as a topic or a theme within our writing. And so it was only befitting that the students and I ventured out to see what was happening there. And then perhaps, if time permitted, which we, it did, we stayed on the premises another hour, almost 90 minutes, just taking in the space and as well as seeing if our own muse, what channeled us or triggered us to write or produce something as it pertained to the house. I myself am writing a poetry book that will be coming out in 2018, 2019, which celebrates the various historic sites of South Florida. So the Stranahan House is one of those sites. And while I was there, I must tell you, I'm not going to retell the story. You can listen to the previous broadcast from last week, but I'll, I'll summarize with this. This house is, I didn't feel anything scary, nor did I, do, do I claim to be a non-believer. I felt it was a very good home. And the volunteers who work there, there is a historical society that is now responsible for maintaining this facility. It has done a fabulous job in preserving the period of the house and as well as keeping to the tradition and culture of it as it pertains to the storyline behind the fascinating individuals who once lived there. To get to the scary encounter component, it's safe to say that the house does have its share of uncanny circumstances, one of which is the late Frank Stranahan himself. In his early 60s, he tied a, a, a grate to his waist, and he jumped into the river, which is right outside his house, to commit suicide. In the latter part of his life, he experienced depression and other issues, and his wife, uh, unfortunately, didn't know how to assist. And so when he did pass, it left her not knowing what to do. She had this property. He had already began to sell off or, or give away some of the land. He had over 10 acres of land in Fort Lauderdale at the time. And so she, in her 60s as well, she decided to go ahead and open rent, or rent out the space of the first floor of the house to a restaurant. She leased it. The second floor became a boarding house. And then in the, in the third, which is the, about the attic, she lived there. And it is believed that in that time period, before and after, from her family and others, there have been folks who have lived there and died there, including their very dear pet cat, whose name I believe is also Frank. And so while there, at the end of this tour, we were sitting by under the tree, the student and I, and one of the other volunteers, she had taken a break and she decided to join us outside. 
Now, for those of you who are not familiar with South Florida, this is one of the best times to live in the South is right now, from October till March of next year. And that is because the weather is great. Humidity is low. You can sit out under the shade under a tree, which is what we did, and get a natural breeze and not worry about sweating. So it was just a beautiful day. It was a peaceful moment. And so while we were there, this lady kindly welcomed us. We welcomed her, rather, into our conversation. And she began to tell us about the stories of the house and how there was one person who was another patron of, of the tour, like ourselves, a year ago, who had gone through the house. And as she was walking through, she inquired during the, the, the tour if there was a cat that lived in the house. And so the, the volunteer turned and strangely looked at her and asked why. There are no other people who live here other than the folks who walk through it and the folks who maintain the grounds. And she said, well, look at that bed, because on that bed, there is an imprint of a cat. And a cat, there was a cat print. I own a cat, and I know when a cat's been sitting somewhere. And surely she looked at the bed, and she noticed that there were these imprints there. And so she herself, being a non-believer, she said, it's just one of those situations where do you believe or not? It also explains why she's been having to straighten out the bed in the morning when she comes in on her days of volunteering in that particular space of the house. So I share these stories because telling good stories, especially a scary story, you have to tell it right. Every scary story has a protagonist, which is a main character who, receive, who receives a conflict. Most definitely the antagonist is the main character who causes it. Doesn't necessarily have to be human. It could be something supernatural, such as the case of horror or suspense. As well, there must be a rising point. And it, the sad thing about most scary stories is that very few protagonists make it out alive. Or if they do, there's always some consequence or circumstance that prohibits them to live a very uh, a continued normal life. And so I, I recall in my own interest the, the works of the late, great Edgar Allan Poe, who is believed to be, in my opinion as well, the, the, the grandfather, if not the founding father, the modern short story, American short story. And his story and how much he embedded his personal life within the confines of his fictional storylines was just fascinating. And my students, when I teach this topic, they're very often interested in the quirky, strange customs and the urban legends of Poe's life. But what's more is this. Edgar Allan Poe was a man. And even as a writer myself, I write about things that I have no interest, nor have I ever committed in my own life. So we have to be very careful not to assume that what we read is all truth, because it could all just be fiction. If you'd like to speak to me during this live broadcast, you have 45 minutes to do so. I can be reached at 347-539-5372. Again, the call-in number is 347-539-5372. And if you have any email questions, questions, comments, or requests, you may shoot them over to me at everydayfolkslisten at gmail.com. Again, that is everydayfolkslisten at gmail.com. I'm going to go ahead and take a few questions. This question comes from Tina from Atlanta, Georgia. Thank you for listening, Tina. Billy, thank you for mentioning the Ranker.com website last week, an awesome website. I have a story. 
I work a graveyard shift at a local hospital. For the most part, it's quiet evening. It's a quiet evening for me and my colleagues. One night I witnessed a patient sleepwalking and it creeped me out. The same patient was later found mumbling in her sleep to someone. She then bolted up out of bed and pointed to the wall, which freaked my colleague. Have you had any work-related stories that were scary, unusual? Thank you for that question, Tina. I'll say this. I've worked in my 20-plus years in my career. If you work as much as I do, whether you work in graveyard because of your shift or just the fact that you're a workaholic, like I can be sometimes, I find myself working well outside of my hours. And as the campus where I work, I'm in a college, and I've always worked at a, in a college or campus setting. So as the day begins to, to retire, the facility, which is so full of life with bodies and people, be, it all of a sudden begins to settle, and it's very silent and calm. And then if you're fortunate to be there after 8 or 9 p.m., the silence is even more so. The dark corridors and spaces where you normally are frequenting during the day with, frequented during the day with people and students and issues are all of a sudden these perfect spaces for a scary encounter. I myself have never encountered as such, but I remember in my days when I was a dean, one of my dear assistants, she stayed late after me one night, which was very rare, because usually we left at the same time or I was always the last to leave the space. And she told me, that she had heard strange noises in, the, in the, the suite and she went to investigate, but nothing was there. Now keep in mind, we're on the, the, my office then was on the third floor of the building and there were other activities and things going on all about the building. Building was still buzzing with evening activity from classes to other activities, but still our corridor was very silent and it was almost soundproof. So you could really hear anything. You could even hear someone burping in the other room if it's that quiet. And so I told her often again and again that don't worry. And she, of course, denied wanting to stay after hours without anyone being there. But I can honestly say I haven't had any personal encounters. But I do have colleagues who tell me of things that have happened in their particular employee employer's locations. My uncle, for instance, he is a security guard. And he used to work securing the facilities of the government buildings and, and courthouses in greater Miami. And he would report having seen or heard strange things during his graveyard shift as well. And people assume, like, why don't these things happen during the day? Well, there are cases of things that, are happen, that happen during the day. If you go on YouTube and take a look at some of the clips that are out, you could do a Google search and, and look at things that are happening in restaurants. There's one of a, 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 a table, a set table that, well, actually a set, a table that's already been used by a patron and a patron leaves. Things on the table start flying off. And this is at one o'clock in the afternoon on the camera. Other patrons who are at a distance from that area look over, they turn, but they don't acknowledge what's going on because they're so enraptured in their conversations. So things do happen. I just don't go looking for them. <laughs> But all of these stories could make for a great conversation, if not a short story or a poem, if you're interested, Tina. And we could work on that together if you'd like to shoot me an email for follow-up. Thank you for listening. Last week, there was a question that came in from Tex from St. Augustine, Florida. And Jay Sol and I tried to capture this one. I'm going to read it again because I thought it was very good. 
People are so afraid of St. Augustine. I was born and raised here. And now my own kids are, 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 I raise my own kids here. The place does have a lot of history and its haunts. Do you think all quiet towns are perceived as scary? And why do people prefer the city versus the country? So thank you for that question, Tex. I'm not sure if you're listening this week, but I'd like to bring it back. Because many scary stories, especially old folklore, many of the superstitions we have today in America, they originated, they predated, I should say, um, our, our current time, all the way back to the Anglo-Saxon period, all the way back to the Elizabethan golden era where Queen Elizabeth reigned and Shakespeare did too in his, in his time. And these traditions have carried over to where we are now. I must also say that people don't realize but Halloween, this, this season, is more Irish than it is American. Having this origination in Ireland and not in America, so the adaptation that we see today that is highly commercialized, making Halloween the second highest grossing holiday after Christmas in America. It is one of, it's something to note. So in terms of a scary story, many, of, many individuals predating the, the silent generation, and these are individuals who are over 80 and above still around in our society, they and their parents and grandparents lived in a very different America, in a very changing or evolving America. And so the more rural you have a, a, a place, and if that's all you know, it doesn't seem very scary. Because as we all know, we could have horror right here in our own backyard. Take a look in the wake of the things that are going on across America in terms of gun violence or crime in major cities. I live in Miami, and people still tell me they're afraid of Miami from the Miami known from the 80s. And so now it has manifested into a new form, but still the fear of Miami still is there. And it is a highly populated city. So I would say that quiet towns are just perfect They're perfect places for a recipe for a scary story. <laughs> and I will admit, I myself being a city boy, when I do go to the country and visit, I am often, uh, I always look for the, 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 the signals or indicators of progression, such as the moment I realize I'm in a, a non-major city, things close at 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. at night during a weeknight. Or if it's a weekend, things are closing at midnight. Or just looking, for, just getting gas. I think in a, in, in a major city, if you're in a suburban community like me, it's okay to get gas late at, late at night if you need to and not have the fear, although it's still not recommended you should do it. Whereas in a small town, because miles and miles away, the next fill-up could be so distant, it could be a challenge. And so, and I will say that many millennials and Generation X, like my own generation, we're choosing to go out and venture out to other cities and, and get out of the traditional urbanization of modern progressive cities. So I can only imagine what the urban tales and urban legends that will be created then of the progressive or evolving cities, what they will be like. And I'll also share this. It is true that some people, I think it's all a matter of preference, but people prefer what they like. And it all starts from our own belief systems, what we were brought up in. I was brought up in a popular city as well as a very progressive one. So it only is befitting for me and my own interests. And as I, when I became an adult, to want to keep that in my life. 
So I hope that answered your question, Tex. It was a really good one. For those of you who are unaware, Florida is a haven for scary places. And if you're looking for a scary encounter, there are some really awesome places that I want to recommend. The first one I'd like to recommend to you is the paranormal, it's, excuse me, is made the Stringer House, which is located in Brooksville, Florida. And this house was built, it has, it's full of antiques. It is now a historical site in a museum. And yes, in its day when it was a traditional home, from the May Stringer family that once lived there to the, the more recent families who bought it before it became or was turned over into a, a public museum, there have been strange encounters of things that have taken place. The gentleman Stringer himself, when he lived in the house, two years after buying it, it is believed that he died. And then his wife, however, she moved on, she remarried, and she gave birth to a daughter who also later died in that house. And then over the years, uh, the, the house had changed hands in terms of deed owners. And as a result, there were more issues that took place in the house. So people still call it, it's a museum, and you can visit it, but you, you can't stay there. So it is a great place, and I do recommend it. As well, I also recommend Ybor City in Tampa. I wish my dear friend, Jay Soul won air today because he could speak to this. About eight years ago, I had the distinct pleasure of taking a tour of Ybor City, and it was a ghost tour. And on this ghost tour, I learned a lot about not only what the city was built, but also the circumstances that surround it and why there's this spirituality about it. When I was there, there was a, we went to see a medium who was a car reader as well while I was there. And her story, she, she made all these predictions that I look back now on and none of them were true. <laughs> but I had a friend who did, nonetheless, who did attend with me and who, who painted a different picture. Just recently, we were having a conversation about that trip. And he mentioned how a lot of the predictions that that lady made had come to fruition over the past decade. And so Ybor City, however, is a great place to visit. And I do recommend it. People don't realize this, but it was a city that was built on by the cigar industry. And many individuals who had come who were immigrants from Cuba, which is known for making some of the finest cigars in the world, they migrated over to Ybor City to start to run production and to also start a better life. Prior to that, there were also black slaves who were part of the process as well. All of these things are a recipe for a scary story, aren't they? And then thirdly, I'd like to recommend the Round Cypress Head. Round Cypress Head is, is of the St. John's River, which is located in Seminole County, Florida. And this particular area is believed to be haunted for various reasons. The wooded area is not a place to be at night. For those of you who are familiar with America, with Florida, you should be aware that Florida is also not a great place to be out on the water unless you are a with a good tour guide, good lighting, and also you may need to carry something because there are alligators and crocodiles all around here and a few pythons, but you should be more fearful of the, the gators than you should be the snakes. And so the cypress, the round cypress head is a great place to consider. And lastly, I'd like to recommend Lake Okeechobee. Not sure if you know where that is, but Lake Okeechobee, 
is located in the center of, of Florida. Actually, it's south of Orlando. And it is believed to be the second largest body of fresh water in the United States. I think that's almost accurate. Also, it is also the place for many deaths, suicides, and other activities as well. Now, I will admit, I have not gone or visited Lake Okeechobee. I may have driven around it, but definitely is one of those places that I'd like to go visit in the next year or so, so I can hopefully capture it poetically within my, my poetry work. Each of these places that I mentioned now are great places for scary encounters. If you have a scary encounter you'd like to share with me, please send me an email. My email address is everydayfolkslisten at gmail.com, everydayfolkslisten at gmail.com. Several of you are sending me emails now, and I thank you so much. I'm going to do my best to answer as many questions as I can. Here comes the next question from Orlando, Florida, and this question comes from Nati. Nati, thank you for listening. Great show, BJ. A couple weeks ago, you mentioned Edgar Allan Poe on your show. Why is he so celebrated? Well, as previously stated, Nadi, thank you again for listening. Edgar Allan Poe is, in my opinion, and many other critics will contend this as well, to be one of the founding fathers, if not the pioneers, of the modern American short story. And so he is so celebrated also because his life is just as so many elements of his life were embedded within the context of his stories. For instance, in the story, The Fall of the House of Usher, where you have a brother and sister who are of nobility and going through their circumstances, their relationship is quite questionable in the way that they interact also as well. Well, it's similar. That mirrors very much so the life story of Edgar Allan Poe, who actually married his second-generation cousin. Now, some would contend through a psychoanalytical analysis of the work that, he, that the, the characters in The Fall of the House of Usher, they committed acts or had hints or suggestions of acts of incestuous relationships. And so then one would say that parallels quite nicely to Edgar Allan Poe's life, who married his second-generation cousin, which is true. Also, if you haven't gone so, you should go to the Poe Museum at, um, um, at poemuseum.org. And every year they do a celebration in, of his death at his gravesite once a year. And also, if you're looking for any of his works, they are also there too. Many individuals don't realize this, but the Digital Millennium Act of, uh, of the 20th century, or I should say 21st century now, it protects the rights of any digitized intellectual property. So if you are an author who published over 100 years ago, unfortunately, you don't fall under that right because obviously they're no longer alive to copyright their own work and their families have not protected their works. Or maybe perhaps they don't have children or family lineage to carry on the work. So a lot of the works of people like Edgar Allan Poe and Shakespeare they're carried on by just enthusiasts, people who are committed to their cause and their craft. Many of them are volunteers. They're historical societies, just like the one at Stranahan House. The Stranahan House is entirely maintained by staff of folks who work, who work for the community. 
They're volunteers who give tirelessly of their time to maintain the facility. And so even their sales inside their, their gift shop, they support the upkeep of the facility. So definitely, I, I think it's important that we acknowledge Edgar Allan Poe and celebrate him for what he has done and also for whom he will inspire in the years to come. It's funny, it's been so long, over 200 years, I believe, since his death, and he still is heralded. And I think that is magnificent, a, a, a feat I hope to accomplish, that long after I'm no longer here on this earth and my, my ideas for everyday folks are forever memorialized, there will be someone out there interested in what I have to say. One last thing, because of his stories, and they were so macabre, um, it's also important to recognize that he, his face, his pictures, his portraits are quite iconic, and people like to use them. He's very seldom seen smiling. And so, and then also, too, as well, we have pictures of what we believe are renderings of him, their impressions of him. And so we would, one could only hope that what we see is Edgar Allan Poe. Um, there are other individuals like Shakespeare. We have impressions of him. There were artistic impressions of him. But it ha he has become so iconic. And across all literary canons, the literary canon, people still celebrate and know his face when you see him, even if you've never read a Shakespeare work. So I hope that answered your question, Adi. Dennis from Montgomery, Alabama. Thank you for listening, Dennis. This is a question, your question or comment. Billy, have you ever considered writing a scary book or novel? It seems like you're very into the topic. I'm sure it would make a great book. Thank you, Dennis. <laughs> I will say this. To, it's, it, I love scary stories. I love scary movies. I've said this over the course of three weeks here in the spirit of the season. When I was a kid, I used to read Anne Rice and Stephen King and Clive Barker and H.P. Lovecraft and anyone else who wrote something scary. I'd read them all religiously. But as I got older, my interest grew. And as I became more exposed to what literature had to offer, I, I wanted to see other things, to explore other things. So if I came across something scary, even today, I'm still going to celebrate it. And, and I will read it and I'll recommend it. But, I, but then my, my repertoire for, for diverse literature is so vast or immense that I prefer to just let things happen or fall in my lap as they should. Thank you for your interest in me wanting to write something like that. I need to give it some thought. And Dennis, if it does come to fruition, you're going to be the first to get an advanced copy of the book. For those of you who are listening now here on Everyday Folks Radio, you're listening to Billy Jones, the author of Everyday Folks Books and the creator of Everyday Folks Network. If you'd like to speak to me during the broadcast, you may always do so at 347-539-5372. Or you can email me at everydayfolkslisten at gmail.com. Again, that is everydayfolkslisten at gmail.com. The questions are pouring in, and I'm going to do my best to get to them all. Last week, there was a, a question that came in from Nicole from Miami, Florida. I want to re read it again because I thought it was a really good one and it pertains to a very popular film that is out now. Thanks for listening, Nicole. I watched the movie Blair Witch 2. Though I enjoyed the thrill, I still give it mixed reviews. 
why aren't scary movies as scary as they used to be? That is a very good question. I think with technology as sophisticated as it is today, it's very hard to shock and awe people. And I think that those who are doing well with horror and suspense, they're reverting back to the days of yore when there were silent films and there, and there was minimal dialogue. And that in itself is scary. I'm going to use a movie for, that is not a horror suspense movie, but to me embodies elements of both. And that is the movie 12 Years a Slave. There are some parts in that storyline, if you've ever seen the film, that there is utter silence. No talking, no dialogue hardly, just the atrocities of slavery, the whipping, the actions, the running, the hiding, the, the, the emotions. To me, that's scary. I'll bring it forward a bit or at least take it back to a movie that's old, but yet more relevant to horror and suspense. Shirley Jackson is one of my favorite authors. Shirley Jackson wrote The Haunting of Hill House. Also, it is the only novel that she's ever written. She's written a short story called The Lottery, which is found and available in many, in, in many textbooks in English composition as the Ross America. The Haunting she ever wrote novel that became Christian was one of the scariest movies I have ever seen. And for any of you who have seen will you probably agree that it is. So Within, Within the, the context, context of, of, of her, her work, work it's, it's important, important to understand that Shirley Jackson may scare scary. scary. You, you never see a monster. monster. You, you never see a ghost. ghost. You hear you things, things, but you, you don't, don't see them. And I and think, I think that, that in itself is what we are referring back, back to. And today's directors are becoming happy with that. Some really good ones. For instance, I'm not sure if you know of the comedians KMP. But, but, K- but Peel is also a director of films. And Peel has decided to make a scary movie that's kind of based around the theme of racism, but also with this horror, pepper wise kind of thing. Come out next year, and I'm definitely going to go see it. But I thought that was interesting because now we have social justice issues that are now the fear or the horror. And, and that is not the art. But to, to find, find them, them making it to the silver screen is going to be even more remarkable. Thank, Thank you so, so much, Dennis, for, for that, that question. question. So, so, Mary, Mary from Atlanta, Atlanta. Thank you for listening. listening. Here's, Here's your, your question. question. Hello? Sorry, Sorry, Mary, I thought you were on the line. (laughs) (laughs) So here's your question. I recently learned about photos called death poses. Have you heard of them? What are they? And why do people participate in taking them? Thank you for that question, Mary. In truth, these death poses were taken. This is only my knowledge of them. I have come across them in my own research over the years. 
So, so the death holds The death poses are very, they center around or revolve around people who are no longer alive. alive. There were were families families who thought thought that that it would be okay okay that that once someone someone passed away, away, that that their their loved one could be sad and they posed as if they were alive. It was was the family's way of tribute tribute to keep the memory of the person's life. life. And And so children, children, adults, adults, elders, you name it, there are photos for these individuals. And so these depots were taken primarily for family purposes. When you do your digging online, you'll probably find a few more. And some of them are really stunning. But when you look at photos, you look at one in particular where a family, an entire family took a picture with a child, and the child is no longer alive. There's one, one child, child, you look at the eyes, you can tell the child is distant, and the, the other children in the picture are, are not very happy, happy about, about taking the photo either. Quite but gruesome. But it do exist, and, and I appreciate you asking me about them. them. And, and here, here are more, more questions coming, coming in from, from Kathleen from Orlando, Orlando, Florida. Florida. Kathleen, Kathleen, thank you for listening. I swear there's something in my house. My, my dog, dog barked at strange, strange hours, hours of the night, night. And, and after investigating, there's, there's nothing, nothing there. My, my daughter, daughter has complained of a strange noise. I don't think I'm going crazy, but something must be done. Any thoughts? Well, thank you very much for that comment. In question, Kathleen, I honestly am not an expert in terms of paranormal activity, but I do know that there are several organizations that reside right here in, in, in Florida that can help you with your work. If you feel that there is something going on there, you may need to investigate it. question I have for you, and you can shoot me an email or, or, or call in if you wish at 347-539-5372. The question is, is it bothering you enough where you're not able to enjoy the quality of your life in that home? If that is the case, then some decisions are going to have to be made. I'm not sure, nor do I mean to judge your circumstance, but I do feel that if you feel that your life is being threatened or if you're uncomfortable, some decisions are going to have to be made. Thank you for sharing that. Very interesting. The questions continue. The The questions questions continue, and And now I have Lonnie from Tallahassee, Florida. Thank you for listening, Lonnie. Lonnie's question is false. The idea that children can be evil has been around since the beginning of time. Why do horror storylines like to center around children? Thank Thank you for for that that question. question. And truth, Lonnie... I'm not, not sure why, why stories do what they, they do. do. I think, I think one, one of the reasons why scary stories that do focus around children are so intense is because children are very vulnerable. The animal species, the human species, is one of the few animals in the animal kingdom that relies or needs a, an adult version of us to protect it, not only from the world but each other. And, and so, so when you have, have a storyline that includes a child who is stricken with a, an illness 
or it's such as an emotional guy of a family member who is the center of interest of a poltergeist. It makes for a great story. And even more so, they're usually little girls. I've noticed over in, in literature and as well as in silver screen, more of those stories that are scary and ghostly and possessions, including, all revolve around a girl between the ages of 8 and 16, which is the time, of course, where uh, adolescence, puberty is taking place, self-discovery, it is the last rites before adulthood. So it is the perfect season for spirits to manifest considering the human body is such in transition. Whereas for males, I found it quite interesting on the other side. Movies like Damien celebrate the fact that the child could be evil in the spawn of Satan. Or the fact that there are other movies as well, such as The Omen, which is Damien. Damien's the son in there. Where you have this battle of spirits. And this, and this battle, battle of spirits is also recognized as a challenge and an opportunity for scary films. So I can understand very much so why children could be the focus of scary stories. Thank you for that question. In the next week, Halloween will be here. And I always ask the question... To all, all my, my fans and those who support me. Why is that you celebrate Halloween? Halloween? Here are a few comments or, or facts that some of you may not know that exist about Halloween. Halloween. Some weird things. For instance, for instance, give me one second. You have to dance to receive a treat instead of asking for one. Can you imagine? Or, Halloween is more Irish, as I said before, than St. Patrick's Day. I'm reading these, by the way, from the Huffington Post article back in 2014. If you, you've been around for the earliest Halloween celebrations, you might have worn animal skins and heads. Jack-o'-lanterns were once made out of turnips, beets, and potatoes, but not pumpkins. And the only reason why pumpkins... Was, was used later is because they were larger. But originally they were using other other um, items, vegetables. Halloween used to be a great day to find your soulmate. In fact, there's several superstitions that a girl, if she wanted to find her lover at the stroke of midnight on Halloween or All Hallows' Eve, she was to light a candle. And that candle would, she lights the candle and she does it in front of a mirror. And as she stands there at the stroke of midnight, the shadow of the man who she's going to marry is supposed to appear before her. I think that's kind of creepy, but it does happen, or has happened. In a few American towns, Halloween was originally referred to as Cabbage Night. That was interesting. And at some animal shelters, I've heard this. I'm not sure if it's true, but I've heard this. At some animal shelters, people won't adopt black cats on Halloween because of the fear of superstition. And then lastly, studies have shown that Halloween actually makes kids more evil. <laughs> so I thought that was very interesting, interesting to share. Thank you for that. Antoine from ATL 
ask the following question. Great show. Thank you, Antoine. Recently, I attended a haunted house attraction here in my hometown, and I have to tell you I have been having trouble sleeping since. I know it's not real, and I have been to haunted houses before, but this one really got to me. Why do people celebrate fear when it's not good for us? Thank you for that question, and I will share this, if I may, Antoine. Fear is also essential. It's good. According to some research, a lot, several research are out there, that it's okay to have a little jolt to the heart. So going on a roller coaster or doing those thrill things are okay if obviously your body can handle it, but it's also good for the heart to give it a little shock treatment. But if you're having difficulty sleeping, it, 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 it may not necessarily be entirely the haunted house, although if you're saying this, it must be. You may want to refrain from doing them. And you may want to get some, some medical advice on this. I'm not a medical doctor. I have a doctorate, but not in, in medical science. You may want to seek someone out to see whatever he or she thinks in terms of your issue. Thanks for listening. The next question comes from Ashley from Hollywood, Florida. She says, fun show. Thank you, Ashley. Have you, been a, have you ever been on a ghost tour or mess with a Ouija board? Well, as I said before, Ashley, yes, I have been on several ghost tours. Just recently I was on one, even though that wasn't the focus at the Stranahan House, but it became that towards a lot of part of my visit there. And, yes, I have been on one here, several in my own hometown, South Florida, and as well as in, in northern Florida, such as Tampa. But Ouija boards, I don't do. <laughs> and here's my reason why. Now, here comes that weird religious part of me. As I said before, yes, I believe that there. I don't. I don't fully believe that there are things beyond out, that are out there. But I also don't go looking for them. And I do believe that in some aspects that spirituality has also guided me to believe what I believe. Having said that, Ouija boards are not my thing. I don't think it's cool to go communing or talking to people or individuals who are no longer here. I think when we cry or we look at pictures of individuals the essence of an individual is still in the, around us and that energy may be there doesn't mean that I want to channel it to bring that person back to fruition because it's just not going to happen. And so I don't do Ouija boards. I know they're all superstitious and they're also they're superstition, I should say. And they're also sold in towards and rough near you. But also too, I don't go bothering them. Thank you for your interest and your question. Folks, we're down now to the last 15 minutes, minutes of our show. Minutes. If you'd like to speak to me at any time, the call-in number is 347-539-5372. Again, the call-in number is 347-539-5372. If you'd like to send me an email, you may do so. I can try to get it in as fast as I can before I sign off at everydayfolkslisten at gmail.com. That's everydayfolkslisten at gmail.com. So this next question is from Nicholas from Hollywood, Florida, and it is a long-winded, I shouldn't say long-winded, that was a nice Nicholas, I apologize. It is a long question, if not a comment. So here it goes. One night, I saw the strangest thing. I was doing my rounds as a security guard at a local commercial building. This lady appeared on the camera out of nowhere. She walked into the view of the camera and just stood there looking at it. My work partners and I just, launched, just had just laughed at first. 
We have it in her comma. We shout it to her to leave the premises, but she wouldn't. Instead, she held up a sign. We couldn't tell what it was and left the area. The sign fell to the ground. None of us did walk out to see what that was or to see where she had gone. After about an hour of debating, we finally went out to see. We couldn't find her anywhere, but her note was there. It said, shh, they're always watching. To this day, the story creeps me out. Thanks for listening. Wow. <laughs> wow, 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 Nicholas. Thank you for sharing that. That was an incredible story. In fact, it would make for a really good short story or another form, an art form or of expression. Thank you for sharing that cool story. The next question comes from Roberto from Orlando, Florida. Thank you for listening in Orlando, Roberto. Roberto writes the following. In many storylines, the battle between good and evil never ends. Do you know of any stories of movies where the bad guy actually loses? Too many scary movies play on keeping the bad guy alive for a sequel or follow-up film. That is a very good question. In fact, Roberto, if you look at the whole storyline of Halloween or Freddy or Jason, we use those three. It seems like these tall, very bestial men can't die. And it makes, first, they have a story. They started in the land of the mortal, and then something happens where they're no longer doing that. And as a result, they are eternal. And so there are some stories, though, where the evil does die or, or, or is lost. I like to use, for example, the storyline. It's not even horror. It's more, it's more action, but it does lend itself to horror because there's gore. And that is the film of Blade, the classic comic book or graphic novel that later was adapted to a film starring Wesley Snipes. And in that story, Blade is always a vigilante overthrowing or, or he's on the outskirts of his own kind as well as the outskirts of man. He's a daywalker, so he can feast on blood if he chooses, but he chooses not to. He takes a serum that prohibits him from wanting the hunger or desire to feed on human blood. And then also, he's also hated by his, his kind because he's one of the few who is a daywalker and can do that. And so he actually, even though the storyline continues and the, and the, the movie does have three, three installments, the truth is that he always wins in the end. I've yet to see him die. And he seems to be able to take out all these bad guys single-handedly, if not with a few, a few partners or comrades who fight with him in battle. And so, yes, unfortunately in many horror stories, though, you don't have that case. I look at Edgar Allan Poe, there are very few, very few stories that have a happy ending. If you look at, for instance, his poem, Annabelle Lee, Annabelle is the courted, suited woman of the, of the storyline who dies. And it's alleged that she, the story was heard by Edgar Allan Poe while he was stationed in the military near in, in the outskirts of Virginia. And she dies, and then at the end of the poem, the, the lover of that poem, the guy, he goes and tries to visit her at her tomb, and he sleeps beside her tomb. Now, when someone says sleeps beside, one could either say he actually literally sleeps beside her, or perhaps he had passed on and was finally buried next to her. And so in that case, and then the story goes to, I'd like to add this part, that the father, it was Annabelle's father who prohibited her from being with him. So it, it, it's very Romeo and Juliet-ish 
in the sense that you have two star-crossed lovers who don't get the chance to be together. And so it made for an incredibly eerie yet truthful story. And so there are some stories where the good guy does win, but then there's always this little evil guy who peeks his head from a corner or a shadow or a city in the distance to remind that, aha, it's not over yet. <laughs> Two more questions are coming in, and I need to get them before we sign off. The next one is from Matilda from Albany, New York. Thanks for listening up, Matilda. I just can't buy the idea that there are ghosts and spirits, but people, but people do, many do. The show is great. I just had to offer this. Ironically, as a non-believer, I enjoy t- tuning in to hear your perspective, BJ. Well, thank you, Matilda. And again, this is all for entertainment purposes. My, my purpose of sh- this show for everyday folks is to celebrate the achievements of everyday things, everyday people, and their storylines. And everyday people also like a good story. Well, thank you for seeing the light side of this and not seeing it as something that should be further studied or we should live our lives in fear, but instead just celebrating it for what it is. Thank you so much. The next question comes in from Brandon from Austin, Texas. Thank you for listening out in Central America. Brandon, what's worse, he asks, living along and facing nightmares or living in a house full of people and the evil manifesting itself in a relative? Good question. I'd say for me, I guess living living alone, I, I mean, living alone probably more fearful because if you don't have any support to help you out, heck, even if it's a kid or a pet, it's better than being alone. <laughs> so I would say that the first, the former versus the latter would be a lot more fearful for me. And also, I think that when you do live in a crowded space, I see movies like Poltergeist where you had a family with three kids and a mom and dad. The house was buried on a supposedly Indian burial burial ground. It just made for a a great story. Also, too, it's always hard to believe what the hype in the making of a film. It is alleged that the film itself had uncanny circumstances on the set. Two of the three children, full stars, are no longer alive. Heather O'Rourke, who played the little girl, the little blonde girl who touches the TV and says they're here, she died at the age of 14 with some rare illness. Her oldest sister in the making of the first film, after the making of the first film, the oldest sister in Poltergeist, the original, she is actually murdered by her boyfriend. So she actually was murdered after the film was made. And then other folks reported strange things happening on the set. And even, if I'm not mistaken, Steven Spielberg's own father passed away during the making of that movie. So all of that, of course, I don't know if it's true or not, but it makes for a great PR and publicity for a film. The next question comes from Denver from Louisville, Kentucky. He asks, what are the popular legends in America? Some of the more popular urban legends, I would say, don't flash your lights at another car. Don't flash your headlights at another car. If you see some of, of headlights coming at you because of the fact that it could be someone flash, you know, it's wanting to run you off the road, or the whole notion of Taco Bell being some crazy place for harboring roaches, 
and other infestations. There's so many. <laughs> and so, again, these stories make for incredible tales. So now from the rural parts of America into the suburbs, there's a story for everyone. And then lastly, here's a question from Matthew from Denver, Colorado. Matthew writes the following. Could it be because we fear death but not know fully about it that people are therefore afraid of what they cannot control? That is a great question. And truth, we can't fear the thing we can't control, which is why we should live our lives. Life is meant to be celebrated. And I have to say, Matthew, your question is very helpful because it shouldn't be so scary to live it. And when we look at life and where it's going and how we apply ourselves, how do you spend your time? And so you ask a question that will, I definitely will ponder after this show is over, and that is, why fear the very thing we can't control? I teach a unit in my English composition class on a, on a conversation on death and dying, and I've selected few works and authors like Ben Johnson, Poe, Emily Dickinson, a host of individuals who I feel will help celebrate that ideal. And I will tell you that when, after that is done, students often tell me that they, they reflect on their own lives and perhaps have shifted their own beliefs. And so with these folks who have written these things, they've all come and gone. And here we are sharing their perspectives. And so it's important to celebrate life in that capacity. Matthew, thank you for that question. I want to say thank you to everyone who's listened today for listening to another great show, I hope. You can listen to any of our shows, this episode or the previous, on iTunes at any time. And if you look us up in the podcast repository and look up the Everyday Folks Radio name. As well, it will post in the next few hours on my author blog page and all, as well as on Blog Talk Radio. Don't forget to tune in this upcoming Friday the 28th for another episode of Keeping Up With K-Pop. The girls are doing a fabulous job, and they have a lineup for the next month that is going to be amazing. So do check it out. Also, my dear colleague, Anike Madison, who is the, who is the creator of Journey Into Passion with Anike S. Please make sure that you're checking her out as well and visiting her blog because she's doing some really great things in terms of life stories and recharging your life, refocusing your life, and she is just killing it with really awesome interviews with individuals across America. And, of course, right here at Everyday Folks Radio with BJ Speaks, you can always tune in with me. So I'll be back in the next two weeks with another exciting show, which will be the second Sunday in November. Until that time, happy Halloween to you and your family. Enjoy the treat. Enjoy the scares, and we'll be tuning in at 3 p.m. in two weeks. Take care.